Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. Now with deer seasons winding down, it is a great time to take the plunge into saddle hunting, especially if you've been considering it. Maybe you've just wanted to try out the gear before you made a purchase. So with that, our friends at Tethered are always coming up with ways to help saddle hunters. And this year, they're doing the Tethered Teach and Train Tour, and it's hitting 20 different cities. And the session is 100% free to attend, where you'll be able to try out all their gear. So here's what's happening or what is also included in the event. There's a free lunch or dinner, depending on the time of the event. All their saddle hunting gear will be in one place. You can test absolutely everything that they have. And then there's going to be lots of giveaways and freebies. There's event-only pricing and discounts on tethered gear. And then there's insider access on some gear, so you'll get a sneak peek as to some of the things that are yet to be uh, to be released. And then there'll also, of course, be saddle hunting experts there available to answer any of your questions while you're hanging and trying out the different gear. So head over to tetherednation.com and check out the Teach and Train Tour page to see the list of cities and dates. Uh, I'm planning to be at the event on May 28th through the 31st at the Seven Springs Tax Shoot. So I hope to see you all there. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee. And I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Exodus trail cameras are running a killer deal right now. As you know, I've been using the uh, Exodus trail cameras for probably about four and a half years now. And what I like most about them is I just put batteries in them. I change SD cards and they just flat out work. And when I show up, I have critters on camera. I just got word that they are having a spring scouting uh, special for the first 100 people that claim this special deal. So starting right now, they're selling one of my personal favorite models, the Exodus Lift 2, for 180 bucks. That's saving you almost $50 with the promotional code SPRING20. If you're not familiar with the Exodus Lift 2, it has a super fast trigger speed, has killer video. The camera has a 2-inch viewing screen, which allows you know for super easy setup. You can even look at the photos in the field on the fly when you're passing by, which might help you. Wrap your tag around that buck you've been chasing. Uh, you can head over to their website at exodusoutdoorgear.com and check out all the details about the Exodus Lift 2. Don't forget, you'll also have peace of mind knowing that you're backed by the five-year no-bullshit warranty that even includes a five-year theft and damage coverage. That's right, you heard a theft and damage coverage. They simply have the best truck camera warranty in the industry and have the customer service to back everything up. If you have any questions about their special offer, feel free to send them a message on Instagram or Facebook, and I'm sure they'll be happy to help answer any of your questions. To claim the offer, just head over to their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, and use the code SPRING20.
Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 168. Today I'm joined by my buddy Greg Litzinger for another DIY report mini-series. We're talking scouting versus hunting and best times of day to kill a mature deer. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is time to spring forward. It is finally here where we get a few more, I guess just an hour, but it feels like more than that. A little bit more daylight on the back end of our day, which is awesome. <clears throat> because now, whenever I come home from work, I can actually get out into the uh, into the outdoors and uh, and shoot my bow a little bit. It's always, you know, I have a setup in my my basement and I'm able to shoot kind of year round. Um, and I, and I do like shooting in my basement. It's, it's fun. Um, it's, it's nice during the winter or whenever, you know, we fall back and I want to continue to stay dialed in <clears throat> during the course of the season, uh, which seems it didn't help a whole lot this year, but uh, it's neither here nor there. Um, but you know, shoot a couple days a week and stuff like that. And I usually take off, uh, like right after the season's over through about this time of year. It's like, I usually set the bow down for, probably most the month of most the month of February and then sometime in in March I start to kind of get that itch again and and pick it up and so I've been doing that the past probably like week and a half or so picking it up in the evenings after work and flinging some arrows um, but I do prefer to get outside and shoot so it's nice to have that a little bit extra time that I can probably sneak out and get some uh get some arrows in in the outdoors because my basement shooting is uh I mean it's it's only about 13 to 15 yards uh which is which is fine just to kind of keep your as I like to say, just keep your stuff together. Um, you know, and it's not like my backyard's huge. I can really only shoot about 33 yards. I think it's about the max distance that I'm comfortable shooting just based on how my setup is and where my stop, my backstop is and stuff like that. Um, but it is just nicer to get out and stretch, stretch those distances out a little bit. And I've, I'm on the fence this year as to whether or not I'm getting, changing out my bow. I've been kind of struggling, um, with this because it's been a few years since I've actually been able to go and test a bunch of bows. So I'm considering doing that, going and shooting a bunch of bows and then potentially getting a new bow this year. Um, you know, so we'll, that, that remains to be, uh, that remains to be seen. Cause I'm, I actually shoot the bow that I have now pretty well, you know, Iowa notwithstanding. Um, and so I'm hesitant to make the change, but there's a few new bows out there that I've been kind of eyeing up that, uh, I don't know that I just really, I kind of want, I kind of want to go shoot and, 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 uh, and, and see how, and see how they feel. But, uh, this time of year, of course, you know, doing a lot of scouting, that's kind of been my mission, uh, the past few, the past few weeks, you know, I had a goal this year to put, you know, at a minimum, uh, a hundred miles in of scouting. Um, ideally I wanted to get it done this spring. I just don't think it's going to happen because I had some weekends where I had, uh, had some stuff going on that I wasn't able to get out. Um, but so I think my goal is to really by like summer, by the time I have to get trail cameras out and stuff like that, or back out for the ones that I've pulled, um, is to have that mileage in by, uh, by, by that time. And so this past weekend I was able to get out, um, and put on, I think I did just a little over six miles this past weekend, which was, which is about my average, you know, I've not had other than the, other than the one trip that I made for the weekend, you know, I've not had where I've been able to scout full days. I've either been able to scout kind of the morning and then had to get back home because I had something going on in the evening or yesterday I had some things in the morning that I needed to take care of that needed my attention. Um, 
And so I was able to get out in the second half of the day, like around lunchtime or whatever, and scouted for a few hours um, in the in the afternoon. But uh, yesterday's scout was pretty good. So last weekend's, you know, was was pretty pretty much garbage for the most part. Um, yesterday's though, you know, I'm recording this on Sunday, so Saturday's scout was actually pretty good. It was actually the same piece of property that I was on the previous weekend, only I was on the eastern side of it. Um, and there were a few, you know, kind of areas I wanted to check out specifically around some clear cuts and stuff. Um, and, you know, dove in. The clear cuts were a little younger, it seemed like, on this side, uh, which was, you know, I guess to my advantage a little bit. Um, super thick, though, of course, like just a wall of, of stuff. But there were a few little spots where you could kind of slip into like the middle of them. And that's typically where I've been finding a lot of the good, a lot of the good stuff. I have a strategy that I won't. I have to kind of continue to see if it plays out um, as I continue to scout. And if it does, then I'll, then I'll share that. But I don't want to give out information that might not be 100% accurate. But needless to say, I ended up finding some good rubs. I found one good scrape that was in cover that I don't know that it's going to be a benefit to me at all. Because um, just because the cover is so thick in there that like there's not a... I mean, even hunting from the ground in a, in a ghillie suit or something like that is not going to not going to cut it in this area. Like, and I, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure how the, how the deer made the, made the scrape in that particular location. Um, but adjacent to that, there is a, the biggest scrape that I've found on public in PA in general, uh, in recent memory. Um, it seems like it's a, a community scrape of course, but it's in between these, in between two of these clear cuts. Um, you know, not exactly, you know, in dead in the center, it's kind of leaning more toward the one to the north, but it just, it was interesting because when I found that I started finding good sign as I, as I kind of continued to head to head north and that's where the best stuff kind of happened, uh, happened to pop up. Once I got into the center of this one clear cut in this area that kind of opened up, um, I started seeing some decent rubs that were laid down. And then I think I found what is, um, what I believe to be a buck bed. Now it's not your classic buck bed. It's, it's interesting cause it's a little, um, it's a little swampy in this area and we had a lot of rain the previous day. So it was a little bit wet, but I imagine because it sits on a slope, I imagine it stays dry most, most of the time, unless there's a lot of rain that, uh, a lot of rain that comes through and you can kind of see where the ground was kind of smashed down and, and, and indented and stuff like that. And there were what I will classify as good rubs for Pennsylvania. They were, you know, probably, the bottom of my chest cavity high. Um, all the trees in that general area were rubbed <clears throat> all about, the, all about that height. Um, and then if I looked behind the trees that were in the front that, that he was rubbing, you could see the tine marks on the back side of it. So he has a little bit of tine length, at least that he's able to, that he's hitting some of those trees that are behind it. Now the trick is, is, you know, to put some cameras out in that area, probably on that primary or not <clears throat> that, uh, community scrape, and then I would like to even slip one into his bedroom um, or close to his bedroom. I could see like his access route for how he's getting in and out. And it seems like he's coming from coming from the north um, into into this particular bedding area or that may be how he's leaving. You know, I'm not 100 percent sure. I would actually now that I'm thinking about it, I bet that's probably how he's leaving um, just because it's, it's a direct line out of out of his bed. Um, which is a little bit challenging because there's some private that kind of that butts up against that particular area there that it will make it not difficult to hunt necessarily, but I'm sure, you know, I saw there was a stand that wasn't too far from there. So I'm sure that there's going to be someone there during the course of the season, if not archer season, I'm sure gun season, which really won't bother me too awful much. So that was the first part of the scout that was really kind of spending time on the, 
on I guess what I would refer to the the mountain part. Uh, there was a lower line part that was uh, that was adjacent to some water that I was really looking forward to checking out, and there were some clear cuts in there, and it was just it was it was pretty nasty to kind of make your way through there because it was a little bit swampy, a little bit you know clear cutty. I don't even know if that's a word, um, but I did make my way through there. But there were there was food in a particular area that I wanted to see if I could get to, and it's just like a a small part of this public. Doesn't even butt up to the food necessarily. So I drove by to see what was that field was, and it was corn on on the private, and it doesn't butt up right up against it. It's kind of it's almost like it's on the inside corner of of the field, now, you know. And if you come back off of it, it, there's some water that's adjacent to it, and that's where I had found all the sign that was being laid down was there. And there I I actually found some some sizable rubs. Um, didn't find any didn't find any scrapes, which was kind of surprised about and I kind of scouted that out and went into there's a slough that kind of runs into this body of water and I scouted that and it seemed pretty decent but it, it was kind of interesting there wasn't a whole lot of like heavy um buck sign J- just in that one area I found it um which makes me believe that there's probably a lot of does in there that's probably a rut spot if I were if I were to guess it's not a, it's not a huge acreage chunk and it either's super swampy and, and thick in that clear cut area, or it's like a cedar thicket kind of situation, which is where I found those those big rubs, or it kind of opens up into this like swampy, evergreeny, you know, uh, swamp grass kind of area that's pretty open. And even during, I think, during the summer, you know, or early fall, I think it still would be relatively open. Um, but there's a few pockets that I think would be worth checking out. I'm definitely going to throw a camera uh close to where i found that big uh that big rub because i feel like i could maybe work that in the early season on a bed to food uh kind of jam if there's a deer in there worth chasing and then yet again it might play out the same you know in late season because i really don't have any great late season setups um around here and that might be one of those places that uh that proves out to be pretty decent, but uh, that's the uh that's the hunting update for or the scouting update for this for this week's what i've been up to I have started to uh, narrow down, excuse me, narrow down um, what I'll, what states I'll be hunting next year, and, and I'll talk about that in a future podcast because not all of them are 100% locked down. There's a couple things that are up in the air, um, but starting to make those plans now and, and looking toward the, the fall already because, uh, as you guys know, it's uh, before we know it, it will be here and it will be uh, and it will be hunting season again, but We'll try to enjoy a little bit of scouting and turkey season before we get there. But with that, have a cool show for you today. Uh, it's my buddy, you know, Greg Litzinger, Mr. Bowhunting Fiend, and I uh, doing another DIY report session uh, together. We really enjoyed doing these. Um, if Again, I'll just reiterate, if you're not familiar with these, what he and I do is we kind of go through and pick clips from past guests where they say things that we feel are kind of interesting and then he and I dissect and analyze it and talk about how we use it or how we don't use it or how it's played out different for us, that specific tactic or or whatever the case might be. And so um, appreciate you guys, all the feedback you guys have given on this particular uh, mini series that he and I have been running through the course of the past, you know, six, seven, eight months, however long we've been doing it. Uh, it's something we'll probably continue to do just because it's kind of nice to kind of go back and listen to some of these folks and, and pick up those nuggets again that maybe you've forgotten uh, forgotten about just as a as a refresher. So with that, we'll jump into the podcast. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, this session here or this uh, clip here is for, with uh, a buddy of ours, uh, Dan Bayes. 
Um, Dan's a, an awesome dude. He's out in uh, out around Western PA area, Huntsville, Ohio. And really, what he's talking about here is uh, scouting versus hunting. A little bit of uh, weather, moon phase, etc. So let's listen to the clip, and then we will dissect. Are you relatively aggressive when it comes to comes to your sits, or are you really kind of looking for your you know your most recent in- intelligence or MRI that people call it to kind of make your ambushes? You know, I'm kind of curious how you approach that. You want to know the truth, man? I I honestly um, my hunting probably consists more of driving to the different properties and checking cameras than, than actual sit time, stand time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it didn't work for me this year, uh, you know, the greatest, um, but uh, it has in years past, you know, and, and um, so, you know, I, I, I more am scouting than hunting. And, and when I do actually sit is generally, you know, I pay a lot of attention to the barometric pressure, um, moon phase I do, but it didn't seem to really have a direct correlation with the whitetails in Ohio this year for me whatsoever. In Pennsylvania, at the property that I hunt, um, you know, it was almost spot on all the way up through November. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's another tool I do use. Um, And then obviously the weather, you know, when, when you have a weather front moving in, usually it means high pressure. Um, and any change in weather, you know, those deer, it's like a light switch. It sparks them. So, all right. So Dan talked about weather, moon, hunting versus scouting or scouting versus hunting. However, we, however we want to frame it. I, I think the start, I think the, and I'll kind of start it off and then you kind of piggyback, but I, I think the one thing that I've, you know, learned over the years and really kind of put into practice most recently is that, you know, I, I scout way more than I hunt now. Um, and I think it's hard for people who are maybe um, have limited time, yes. right, or new hunters to really uh, adopt that approach because they feel like they're missing out if they're not yes. getting stand time or tree time in. They feel like they're not, you know, that it wasn't a worthwhile you yeah, know, in, endeavor. And the reality is, is that I've actually had better encounters and have seen better deer, better caliber deer. Um, and more frequently, the more time that I've spent with my boots on the ground, yeah. putting miles under my feet than I have whenever I used to just solely, you know, scout off season and then sit my locations. And then the season was going to be what the season was yeah. going to be. Um, it, I think this kind of goes into like that mobile hunting thing, you yes. know, the mobile hunting idea of where it's like, you're really just scouting to find your next hunting setup type of type of situation and and there's a there's a balance that each 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 of us have between scouting versus sitting because you can get addicted to either one and that's not necessarily a good thing right addicted to sitting you know you sit too much you're you're missing the boat you know or you end up scouting too much you're not actually hunting so it's kind of hard because most people don't scout slash still hunt they're they're walking like scouting i know I'm guilty of that. Like mm-hmm. scouting, I'm I'm usually walking at a faster pace, right. and I'm probably blowing some opportunities. If I were to slow it down, I could probably capitalize, or maybe even see more. Right. So there is a, a balance act that we all need to, you know, find our our own niche, you know. Right. And I've been doing this a long time, scouting, you know, being being a mobile hunter, you know, for pretty much my whole hunting, you know, 
endeavor here, career, whatever you want to call it, almost 30 years, I've been a mobile hunter. Right. Uh, so there is a, a balance that you need to find. Each of us needs to find because right. mine's going to be different than yours, yeah. you know, but I do, you need to scout in order to find deer, but also you need to hunt in order sometimes to kill deer. So, right. Right. You know, no, I, I think it's a good, I think it's a good point that, you know, the idea that, you know, a person can fall in love with the one or the other yeah. a little bit, a little bit too much. Right. And you romanticize the scout, like in the movement. Right. Um, you know, unless you truly are still hunting, like a person who I look at that does that stuff really, really well is like a guy like Zach Farrenbaugh. Yeah. Right. Like, but he is truthfully still hunting his way through. Now he talks about there's areas where he knows it's like, look, this isn't a place I'm going to find deer sign yes. or I'm going to find deer. So he's pounding it to yes. the next spot, like just getting after it. And then when he gets to a spot to where he thinks like there could be a possibility, yep. he slows it way down. Yes. You know what I mean? And he's still hunting slash scouting his way yes. to like wherever his setup might be. And I think what he, one of the things he said that he and I talked about before was starting without an end in mind. So you're you're hunting your way through. You don't have a destination in mind, but you you'll know it when yes, you see it. Exactly. You know what I mean. And I think that's the hardest part. I think when people fall in love with like scouting, I don't think that they like love the scouting more than hunting. I think that they're too afraid to stop. Yes. Because they're unsure of what they're seeing and they're not confident in what yes. they're seeing or what's is a better sign over there, you know, right. or that fear of missing out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other take from the clip is moon and weather. Uh, I'm a big moon guy personally. When I hunt, you know, beds in October, I have a lot of success doing it. Does, does it always work? No. Right. So you can't bet, hedge your bets hundred percent just on moon. You know, weather will trump pretty much everything. And then pressure on top of the weather usually trumps everything. Right. So everything kind of like to, this clip is a good. It's a lot about balance. You need to find that balance for for yourself between scouting, hunting, using the weather and moon, and kind of all making it work together for how your brain processes things, how you right. how you actually interpret the sign, interpret what you're seeing. Right. You know, like I'll be honest. Like there's sometimes you know this past year whenever I was scouting, you know, hunting, still hunting my way into a, into a, a potential setup, and I found what I liked, and then so I set up. And I'll be honest, like there's, there were, there were times when I just needed to stop, set up because I needed to think about everything I had just walked through, yes. you know what I mean? Where I'm like, all right, I got to stop. Let me just set up here and I might not be at the right spot and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick it right all the time yep. and I needed just to kind of stop, set up and maybe I, maybe it was a morning. I went in late morning. I walked for an hour, found something I felt good about, got into a tree, felt confident yep. in and then as I got into the tree, it's like I'm sitting there and it's like, what am I doing? I'm pulling up on X. Yeah. I'm looking through going, all right, if I leave here, where's my next spot yes. going to be? You know, and I give that a couple hours if I don't see movement. Now, that's <clears throat> rut, rut hunting, yes. right? Or pre-rut and rut hunting. Like, <clears throat> I would maybe take a little bit different approach if I'm hunting beds or whatever because I'm hunting a specific bed, yes. a specific deer probably at a specific location. Yes. So I think you have to take into consideration the time of year, what sign you're looking for, right? And and, and uh, what type of pressure you have, how yeah. much acreage you're on too. I mean, exactly. if you're only on 300 acres, it's not like you can burn it up all day. <laughs> so you know what I mean? so you're many gonna, spots. You're going to run out of space. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and in the moon aspect of it, barometric pressure and all that yes. stuff, like I'm going to be honest, like I've, I, I don't follow that stuff super closely. What I will follow is, uh, is wind and just weather in general. Yes. Right. Um, I've tried playing with the moon a little bit. Um, 
I'm just be 100% yeah. honest. I don't have enough of attention span to to pay as close of attention to it. I have some other buddies that do, you know, yourself yeah. included, um, who make some correlations with the moon and what they what they're seeing and stuff like that. I think bed hunting makes a little bit more sense, like with, yeah. with that kind of stuff. I think where I've seen, you know, um, I won't say success with it, but when I've seen, you know, movement that correlated with the moon, is things like, you know, coming back to bed later because there was a a, a there was more moonlight at yeah. night and so they stayed out and they fed a little bit longer so i was able to slip yeah. in and, and beat them back yeah. to bed and and each there's so many different you know aspects of the moon yeah like the droids hunt one way dan andre and you know other people hunt a certain way and adam hayes hunts a yes, different way you know yeah. so there's there's no right way you know you we all have our strengths and we all have certain things we, we gravitate towards i've tried the dr the jury way this a few times this year not saying it doesn't work. I didn't see, didn't see like zero percent, like not even like ah, kind of nothing. Doesn't right. mean it doesn't necessarily work. Maybe in that property doesn't work, or maybe I need two or three years to really fine tune because they got years, you yeah. know, you know, and they're definitely hunting different deer than I am hunting, you know, right. pressure wise. You know? Yeah. So we all find have our niche, and that that's what's great about hunting. You take a little bit of, you know, no gospel for any one person, you know. Yeah. Well, you. Know, you process things different than I process things. So yeah. we're definitely different. You know, the end game's the same, but our methods are right. different. Right. And we have some similar approaches. And I've always said, I was like, you know, I always try to look to be a Swiss army knife. I try to look to like take bits and pieces. What do you think of this? Right. <laughs> I always try to take bits and pieces from everybody that I think, you know, not just that I think are good ideas because there are some things that I'm like, that's really cool and interesting. I don't think I can get it to work. You know what I mean? Or I don't have confidence that I can do that. Yes. Right. And so it, it's not of any use to me. You know what I mean? Even like, so like the bump and dump, for example, yeah. right? I know some people can get it to work like a charm, right? I kind of got it to work in Iowa this year. Yeah. But up until that point, it's never worked for me. Yeah. So I've never really pulled it out. I literally pulled it out in Iowa because it was like a last chance. Like I got to make this work yeah. and this is the only way it's going to work, you know? And, and so it happened, it happened to work out. But other times prior to that, it's like, and would I pull it out like next season? I would go probably ninety percent no. Yeah, you know what I mean because it's like it's worked for me once. You know, in in, in that environment too, where you look at, you know, Iowa's a lot different. Hundred percent. You know, yeah. so here I've had mixed results with that. I've never right. killed a deer, you know, bumping them out the next day or whatever. Right. You know, so I've I've bumped them out and had other deer come back that I necessarily wouldn't want to kill. You know? Right. 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 <laughs> and it's like wrong deer came back. Thanks. And it's like. Right. All right. Well, that's it works, but <laughs> worked on the wrong. Yeah. Year. Right. Awesome. Well, I think we covered covered that one. So the moral of the story there is, is that, you know, hunt and scout the balance of it, you know, whatever is going to work for you and your and your that you're comfortable with. And the level of deer you want to kill, too. Like if you want to kill scouting might not be if you're looking to fill the freezer, the best option. Right. Right. If you're, <laughs> if trying you're to a weekend warrior, sometimes scouting. You can't always scout because you have Saturday to hunt, you know, right. especially in PA. You can't hunt on Sunday, really. So right. you have one day to hunt. Scouting every Saturday might not be the best option for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then with the barometric pressure, moon phase, and stuff like that, it's one of those things is, you know, it's trial and error, and it's trying it and see what and see what happens. Yes. You know what I mean? So there's not one one size fits all for that kind of stuff. So with that, we'll move on to the next.
All right, for this next one is another one with our buddy Dan Bayes, and what he's talking about here is really time of day hunting, mornings, evenings, afternoons, and what time you're really kind of making an entrance into into the timber at different times of the year. So we'll t- listen to the clip, and then we will discuss. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know, if you're if your entire life depended on not being seen by a human, you know, when obviously nighttime, right? right. Is is the most probable time that an animal is going to move to eat and to live, survive. Well, if he wants to get out and, and cruise for a doe or check his scrapes because that testosterone's got his mind doing some crazy things, generally that'll happen midday. Right. And that's why, you know, I I I kinda got off, off the course when you asked me about, you know, how I what times of you know, if I prefer morning or evenings and, and you know, during say the last week of October through you know, the third, fourth week in November, I'm a daybreak. I don't want to walk in in the dark. I like walking in when I can be, you know, knowledgeable about what's going on around me. You'd be surprised at how many times I'm walking into a stand and there's a a buck bedded down with a doe, you know, 10 yards off the, you know, trail that I'd be taking or, you know, so on and so forth. Well, I like to be able to see what I'm doing. I can get in there quieter and I can do it knowledge, you know, with knowledge and, and see what's going on. So, um, I generally wait until it's daylight and there's times, you know, I'm not opposed to sleeping in during the rut sometimes, <laughs> you know, getting that extra hour of sleep because I want to make sure that I'm there for the midday. Well, I should say, you know, eight, nine, ten o'clock and on through the evening. All right. So what we're really talking about here is 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 times of day, and I think a couple things that Dan mentioned were were really kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll put it this way, right? I, I think the I think the old school. I won't even say old school. I would say I would say the misconceived idea of hunting times is just that is misconceived, right? You just like you have to hunt mornings or evenings because you'll hear people talking about like. Do you hunt mornings in October? Do you hunt, you know, evenings only in October, you know? And the reality is, is that, you know, October, if I'm just going by time period, is one of those times of the year where I will prioritize evening hunts unless I know that there's an area that I think that I can, that I have a good chance to kill a deer. Like if a deer is telling me he is killable in October in the morning, 
I will try to kill him in the morning, right? It's like I'm not going to hunt him in the evening on some old wives' tale that you only hunt October in the, in the evenings. I've known too many people that kill big deer in October in the morning, right? Just, Shh, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> right? happen, right? Ever. Especially if you can catch him coming back to bed, right? But I think the one thing, you know, and this is just for me, like this year, you know, I know I've talked about this, you know, a fair amount, you know, about my trip this year. And and even when I had, you know, John Eberhardt on, and I've really kind of picked this up from John, like I mentioned before, it's like I try to pick up different things from everybody and I try to use them, things that I think will work for me and that I can execute. And one of the things that I really like, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about before, where it was like the scouting versus hunting, you know, one of the things that I've really adopted this year was freelance hunting. And that's really just showing up to a piece of property with limited to very little. Surprise, inf- mother. Yeah. <laughs> limited, you know, either no information about a piece or very limited information about a piece. And if that's the case and I'm walking in for a morning hunt, say during the rut, you know, or during the pre-rut where you, where you do want to be in the timber as much of the day as you possibly can. Um, I'm not walking in during, the, you know, at dark. Because I don't know where I'm, I don't know how to get in. Number one, I'm walking into a piece I've never been on, so I don't know what my access is. I'm going to end up in a briar patch, making a ton of noise, and screw my hunt before it ever starts. You're afraid of the dark. I'm afraid, and I'm afraid of the dark. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm waiting till I have some daylight, and I'm typically going to try to wait until deer are back to bed at that point before I start making my move in. That way, I can see to get myself in. That, and especially if I've never hunted it before. I'm able to scout my way to wherever I'm going so I'm not walking past sign that I should be stopping yes. and hunting versus walking in in the dark and just blowing by it because I've got a spot I'm trying to get to yes. that I know nothing about and I've just picked it out on the map, right? So I think for me, you know, I used to fall under that umbrella of like hunt the mornings, you know, early in, you know, and all day like November, et cetera. And then early and late in the season, I'm hunting only evenings. I've kind of thrown that all out the window and now it's based on, you know, uh, it, it's based on what my intent is and what I know about that particular piece. Right. True. And so it's all kind of contextual. Yeah. It's like, I don't have a one size fits all for it. contextual. Look at that big word. Not really cookie, monster. but cookie monster pants. Um, so I'm basically using what I know and what I don't know will determine how I'm going to hunt at what time I'm going to go in. I think the one thing is, is like, you know, especially during, the you know pre-rut and rut that midday movement is is baller yeah. and and that's and that's where it's at and i mean if you've listened to any of the podcast that i've done with eberhart it's one thing he talks about is getting into a setup for that that midday movement off of a primary yeah. scrape area because a buck a lot of times will bed right off that primary yeah. scrape area midday and wait for those does in the morning late morning those mm-hmm. those ones that are coming back from food late and then catching them at the yeah. at those scrapes, right? And so it's so for me, it's like I've prioritized more in that during that time frame, the mid to late morning and afternoon hunting. So I'll give up the morning and scout my way in and be set up for that midday movement. And I don't want to say I throw the morning away, but when I'm freelance hunting, I'm really not prioritizing it because I don't want to do more damage to the hunt, you know. Yeah, by not knowing where I'm at. Yeah, especially during the rut, you know, especially if they got does or they're following does. Yeah. You know, I know I got some spots in the marsh. I don't go out there until 30 minutes after daybreak because they've already passed the little strips of woods and they're in some of the marsh. And I got islands out there, you know, and sometimes I got to drag a canoe. So it's like it's a whole, like, I need to see visual. Oh, I see deer going out. 
you know, all right, there's some does there. there. All right. And I can either drag, you know, go back to the truck, you know, put the canoe in the ditch, you right. know, and, and paddle on down and, and set up on those little high grounds or scout my way in. Like you said, if I see deer in this, you know, like a little brushy, I don't even know what you would call it. It's not red brush or anything. It's just, they just browse and nip on these little green buds and you'll see a, a, a buck and a doe. Like, all right, if they're here, odds are I know where they're going. They're going, you know, over here. And I got a, a short window to try and cover, you know, it'd be 500 yards. And, you know, and I, I might have to take the long way around, you know, but I'm not going to do that unless I can see, you know, some type of reason to do that. Right. You know, because all that work for there's nothing coming out there that day, either bird hunters blow them out, duck hunters, you know, or, or another bow hunter or, or something. Right. So I use that method you know, uh, quite a few times this year. And I had that, you know, morning where I had a, a giant five pointer and a 130 inch 10 pointer with one doe and they were just headed to one spot, but I didn't really look at the tide and right. I really couldn't do anything. I had to watch these two bucks all morning, which is cool. Right. You know, I was 200 yards away from these, you know, five pointer was absolutely a, a toad of a deer. I would have shot him over that 10 pointer, you know, I, to this day, I'd still shoot that five pointer. He was just that massive. Right. But I watched them all morning, you know, from a little vantage point, and it was just neat watching because I know where they were going to go, but I didn't have a life jacket or right. my, my waders and everything. I wasn't really set up for that right. that morning. I kind of, you know, messed that one up. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think the other thing is, too, is just think about the time period that you're hunting and what the valuable time yes. is, right? You know what I mean? And, like, and I'll go back to, like, that pre-rut rut time frame where – you know, this year, all my encounters happened between, like, I, I shouldn't say all my encounters. All my good encounters happened between, like, 11 and 3 o'clock. You know, 11, 3, 3.30, because I killed that deer at 3.30 in Iowa, right? So, like, that to me was, like, I didn't really have a whole lot early morning mm -hmm. ever, the the days that I was set up early morning, and I didn't really have an, a whole lot, like, late evening. There was one, like were two late evening encounters that I had that were both decent, but like it was, that was it. But I had a ton of encounters. And that, that means you were in a certain, you know, time frame of a year and a certain area where exactly. that, that plays off. Like if you're in an area where you like, I don't get a lot of you know, midday movement usually mm -hmm. because I'm hunting, you know, that then random far islands where if they're getting off that, Midday, they're already on those islands. See, at right. midday, they don't really need to leave them. So there's really not a lot of midday movement that I see because I can't get that close to them. It's right. not like a, a scraping area or bedding area. Like, they're coming in. They're already in the bedding area. You right. Know? So, right. you know, it's subjective to the area or to the terrain or, or yep. whatnot. Yeah. And that's a good point because my late, my late evening movement this year, scrape areas, was Pennsylvania. Yeah. Right. You're talking pressure, right? More pressure than... Yep. Midwest or whatever. And so, I mean, I've seen deer, good deer in the afternoon in previous years. It wasn't, wasn't this year. It was all, all late. So it's not that it doesn't happen, but I would say that it's less likely given yes. the pressure and stuff. Yeah. And now that, where I had that midday movement that was hardcore was the Midwest. Yeah. Right. So the places I was hunting, the place I was hunting was a lot less pressure. They felt a lot more comfortable moving, and so they were moving, you know, midday pretty pretty freely. And so mm -hmm. I used that to my advantage, especially the last day when I arrowed that deer. I didn't go out until 11. 
I mean, I didn't even walk from my truck till 11 o'clock because I knew I was like, I don't need to be in the woods yet. You know, and on your last day of your last hunt yeah. in a travel hunt, you know, most people would want to be out there. I'm going to be out there all day, dark to dark. And I was like, dark, dark. Yeah. I was like, I'm not seeing anything in the yeah. morning. So it's like, I'm going to pack up my camp, be ready to go. And I'm going to go put the last hunt in during the time frame that I know that I'm going to, that I feel the most confident I'm going to see deer. Yeah. My, my buddy Rick, we were in the gap with it two, two years ago. He shot his buck, but he seen it the night before, right at daybreak or right at dark. You know, he texts me, got a rack coming in. So he waits forever to leave, you know, and I end up shooting the doe until we got her. But the next morning he wanted to go out. Well, he slept in. He's like, I'm going to sit in this field, you know, or not this overgrown field. I don't even call it a field. I guess it's an old logging road or something. Mm-hmm. It's not a clear cut. It's just kind of fieldy-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to sit in that thing all day, you know, but I don't want to get there in the morning and, and sit all day. So we got up, we broke camp, we did all that stuff. And then he went out at nine o'clock in the morning and he sat until the dark, basically when that buck come out. Cause if he were went in there at midday or a set of evening up, he probably would have blew a bunch of does out that were already coming in to that right. area or, or working the way through. So he had to sit it out, grind it out all day yep. in, on the ground. Nice. <laughs> you know, so that, that's a long sit, you yeah, know, it is. no blind or nothing, just sitting on a, on a, a stump or a yeah. bucket or whatever, yeah. You know, yeah. And he ended up shooting that, that big buck literally the last, you know, five minutes of light. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's what it took to shoot that deer, you know? Right. Yeah. So I, I think I think at times, you know, that I don't want to say the early morning hunt is over overhyped, you know what I mean? But because, look, deer are creatures. They like to move in that gray light. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. But I think you have to, again, I think – Everything with hunting to me is contextual. Like you need to put multiple pieces together to understand what's going to happen. Like I think as a blanket statement, if you were going to hunt anytime during the day, I would take the gray light hours, right? But once you start to understand a little bit about a piece or or a way you're going to hunt, like freestyle or freelance hunting, it's like walking in blind in the dark is possibly one of the dumbest things you could do for a hunt. You know what I mean? So might you maybe you miss a big a big deer that that traveled during gray light but if you don't know where you're going how do you know he he would have been there in the first place exactly or that you wouldn't have blown him out and changed his course you know yep. what i mean so especially during the rut i mean you see now with youtube videos and white tar journal guys hunting public yeah how much activity happens in spots that people just blow right by mm-hmm. you know and i've been guilty of that like i want to blow walk right through this perfectly good bedding area because i want to get to this to this point for you know i know these bucks are coming to bed it's the worst thing to do because you're yep. going through there in the dark and those deer are already bedded down and <laughs> in yeah. those little pockets or yep. they're or better yet they're catching your scent because you just literally went through a 300 yard mm-hmm. you know, overgrown field well every deer across that is going to smell you yep. and bye-bye <laughs> yep take it easy but. all right so i think we covered that one on to the next all right, with this one, you'll recognize this fellow's voice. This one comes from Johnny Utah Mulligan. This was actually before he was a staple on the show, whenever I had him on just as a guest. But what he's talking about in this one, uh, as, you'll, as you'll listen, is um, really, I guess, how I'll frame it as age over inches and challenges and accomplishing goals is really what he's talking about. So we'll listen to the, uh, we'll listen to the clip and dissect. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was just so cool. Uh it was fun because, I mean, that deer was a giant to me. And I think the more and more I hunt, um, 
the size of a deer doesn't matter as much to me, you know, antler-wise. The, the age class or the body of the deer or what challenge was involved kind of means more. And uh, I knew that it was it was really cool when I, when I was able to take that deer. And, of course, captured on film, and I was by myself and everything. And it was in a spot that I, I was able to pick out on a map, and I, I did a run-and-gun set there a couple of weeks prior. But until I put that resonant tag on it, it was like that That was when that sense of accomplishment kind of sunk in. Like, wow, I, I made it. All right. So, John, talking about meeting challenges, self-filming. Yes. Uh, Greg has an interesting hand gesture for self, self-filming and age over inches. And I think... I think a lot of what he was talking about in that, like I kind of felt, I kind of felt this year, right? Because um, a little bit of what he was talking about was like you, you have these goals for yourself, you know, yeah. what I mean? or you have these things that you want to do, and um, you know, you get to a point, I think, you know, in, in hunting where it becomes more about the the chase, yes, than it does about filling the tag. And I know John mentioned like filling the tag, he feels like aha, like I finally yes. like I made it, you know. Um, yeah, that's the reward, right? And that's yeah. kind of like you just like that's the moment you get to like reflect, yes. you know. Um, but it's really like that whole journey along the way. And he talked a little bit about like figuring some stuff out. And I, I, I kind of know this story because I know John as well as I do. Yeah. And what he was really kind of talking about was like when he first moved to Iowa, right. right? And that you know he made that big move to Iowa, and it was because he wanted to hunt you know a certain age cal or a certain you know uh, caliber of deer age wise. Um, and knew he had to make that move to the Midwest to, to make that happen. And so moving to a new state, not knowing very many people really, and having to really figure it out on his own, it was like, I think for him wrapping his tag and filming, you know, this hunt and stuff like that, wrapping his tag around his first Iowa deer as a resident was like a big, was an accomplishment yeah. for him. And so for me, it's like, I can relate because, you know, it's well documented here. It's like, I love to travel hunt. Like I love hunting new states. I love hunting new places. He hates his home state. <laughs> he hates his home state. No, I like I like Pennsylvania just fine. But it's like I just love. I mean, I even do it in Pennsylvania. It's like the piece that we scouted together was a piece I never hunted before. Um, and so usually year to year, I don't very often hunt the same public. Even it's like I usually bounce to different different public. Um, I, it's just one of those. I just I like seeing new stuff, you know. And so I can relate to him in terms of like that feeling of a, of a challenge and accomplishment because it's the same feeling i think that i'm all actually chasing when i hunt out of state you chase, know what i mean it's like chase I'm, moments not inches yeah and so i'm chasing that like feeling of like you know people thinking that i can't do it you know what i mean or i i get asked a lot like why do you hunt like a different state most years or even like in the places that you do hunt why do you hunt different properties all the time and not the same one and my answer is always like because i want to see some i want a different I can't experience sit still part that's partly true you know what i mean um and i just i like the, part of what i love about hunting is having to figure out a new a new piece of property yes. you know and it doesn't even mean for me that i have to wrap a tag around a deer it's like it's really just if i have good encounters where i have opportunity i'm like check kind of figured the property out right yeah. didn't stick an arrow in him but i had one at 20 yards just got dark deered you know what I mean? So it's like I figured out the movement. Dark deer. Yeah. Got a couple of zingers today. Got a couple man. of zingers, man. Um, so for me, it's like I can really relate to what he's saying because it's it's the same thing that I chase every year when I travel well, somewhere new. As 
as a a guy who hunts you know where I hunt and how I've hunted I I related to that clip because it's not necessarily inches because I live in a you know, New Jersey it's not exactly a a big buck mecca so to speak right so if you're chasing inches you know or or a certain size you're always going to be let down there's always a big deer somebody's always going to kill something bigger yeah but you can always kill mature old deer everywhere be it it's 90 inches or 140 inches right you know or you know even 60 inches whatever if it's the oldest deer in the property that is something every hunter can go after in any state you know the screw the inches you know the the inches aren't important it's targeting a specific age class that's going to challenge you and make you grow as a hunter you know, stress you out, <laughs> give you nightmares. Definitely stress you out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, that's attainable for every, every hunter. Right. Targeting the oldest deer on the property. In some states, it might only be a two-and-a-half-year-old because they just get massacred, you know, or it might be three-year-old or be lucky to shoot a six-year-old. But there's always old deer everywhere. But headgear is going to vary from region to region, state to state. Yeah. You know, so don't be chasing you know, inches, you know, you're always going to literally come up short every yeah. time. You lose that game nine yes. times out of ten. Yeah, right? because somebody with money or somebody with better real estate or whatever is always going to win. They're going to win that every yeah. time. Yeah. But if you kill, you know, six-year-old deer, you know, five-year-old deer in areas that are almost impossible to do and you do it all the time, it, you a bad month, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you, you are, you are elite. The inches might not show it, but the age shows it. And that's, I think – what I, what I strive for, you know, because right. I'm not gonna go. I've I've killed six year old deer, five year old, four year old, in places that are most people probably never seen a deer that old, you know. Right. That they ain't got much of headgear, you know. They're 100 inches, you know, 115 right. inches, but they're old. And to me, that's that's the that's the game, you know. Right. I'm playing. And, yeah, in Pennsylvania, very similar to Jersey. Now, I, I will say, you know, PA in the past several years has gotten better and better deer. They, like they've upped their game. Yeah, they have. You know, and look, it's awesome. I mean, we still have a lot of pressure. So, like seeing a four and a half year old deer on public land is is going to be challenging. Yes. Unless you're going out to like, you can see that I think more more frequently four and a half in order when you get out in the like. You know, the, uh, the Alleghenies. The, yeah, the Alleghenies, where it's like you got some serious, rugged terrain, yes. mountain. You, you got know, space. Yeah. Where Here, it's just, you know, the, it's hard because the it's not a lot of real estate. Yeah. Well, you're wise. dealing with a lot of small chunks, yes. right? I mean, that, that's, that's part of like the, the thing. But you adapt, you adapt to it. I mean, like, again, going back to the Alleghenies, it's yeah. like you think about a guy like Steve Shirk and look at some of the trail camera photos yeah. he has and some of the deer he's killed. I mean, he's killed. Legit, either Boone and Crockett or borderline Boones. Oh, yeah. in, in, like in Johnny, Pennsylvania. Johnny and Bo, Bo's family, Bo. all those guys yep. are just they're you know, massive. I mean, they kill yep. old public land deer, yeah, mountain deer. <laughs> Around here, a little bit more challenging because there's not a block of you know thirty thousand, forty thousand yes. acres or whatever. I mean, you get it toward the Poconos, yeah, yeah. You're starting to get into some serious like. Big woods style. I won't go as far as to say like the New Hampshire's or the New England states, yes. like that type of stuff, right? Because that's that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> but you're getting into some areas that have lower deer density, not known for having great deer, you know, type of areas. Around here, you get good deer. Yes. You you get pockets. Um, the deer that I had an encounter with this year, I would say well, from truck camera and seeing him live, three and a half, every bit of. I would be hard pressed to say he's four and a half. 
But would it surprise me if, if he were? Not really. You know, I mean, he was a big bodied deer, you know. Um, but that's kind of like my goal in PA is a three is a three and a half year old. Because for me, a three and a half year old on public land in this area of Pennsylvania where we've got smaller parcels, you know, a lot of pressure because the parcels are smaller, you know, that's just that that's a realistic goal in in this area. And I've stopped kind of chasing the um the headgear, yeah, so to speak, just because Again, you know, it's going to be few and far between. Like, I kind of, I, I would like to say if I'm chasing a three and a half year old in this area from the deer that I've seen, it's like he could be borderline Pope and Young. Yeah. One, like 125, 130. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anywhere from like 120 to 130 would probably be about the, about the size if he's a, if it's a good deer and he's got, you know, decent genes. And he's got decent genes. Yeah. yeah. And he's got plenty of food and yeah. like all, all those things being considered. That's probably where he'll fall, which that's kind of what I want to, want to shoot. Um, when you travel, it's a little bit different. Even when I go out of state, man, like Ohio, whatever, it's like, it's still for me, it's a three and a half year old. You know what I mean? Like I know Iowa has bigger deer or older deer. The deer I killed this year, three and a half years old, you know, um, that's just where I'm at in my hunting journey. Some people might, you know, oh, fancy pants. I only shoot three and a half or better. <laughs> well, look, I'm not above shooting younger. Yeah. I mean, let me just say that, you know what I mean? But like, as far as targeting goes, it's what I try to. It's so what I try to shoot. Now, will one fool me and like come in <clears throat> with headgear that, you know, I look at it and I'm like, it gives me a little bit of deception because I'm not paying attention to the body and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm paying attention. Sure, that, that can happen, right? Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, that's my goal yeah. is three and a half year old. And I'm, I think anywhere, if you're killing three and a half year old deer on public land, yeah, like my, it's pretty good. My biggest deer inches wise is a three and a half, 140 inch eight. Yeah. And you look at that deer, I mean, you've seen them. There's no way. I mean, I took that data tax nervous. He thought I killed an Illinois and Iowa. That's right. how big it was. Right. For it only to be a three and a half. Yep. It's had good genetics. Yep. Big woods deer, no crops. It's had great genes. Yep. You know, and my oldest, six and a half, it's like 112 inches. Right. Mountain deer. Right. Six and a half, spindly rack, right? You know, big deer, but right. spindly compared to, you know, that, that, that 140. Right. But there's a three year age difference. And you're right. like, hmm. Not even you know, in this in the same ballpark, you know. Yep. So. So yeah. So I think you know. I think the moral of the story here, and what John was kind of getting at, and I can kind of probably say this because I, I know John pretty well, is like embrace the journey. Yes. You know that's what it's all about. You know, embrace the journey. And that's what you're going to remember when you're old, when you can't do this anymore. It's not the inches. It's that story, you know, to get you know said inches. Right. That's going to make you know. You know, the story you tell, uh, that I worked three years for that deer right there. But it's only 100 in a steer, but I worked three years for that deer, you know? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because when, when someone asked me how my trip was this year or whatever, it's like the part that I, I, I say when I release the arrow is literally three seconds of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I talk about the other, 15, other 14 days that I was there. Because that was the and experience. The seven misses. And, and the, hey, man, there was two misses. That's, that's, <laughs> we can go ahead and stop bringing that up yeah. now. <laughs> so with that, I think we'll shut this one down. Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you've not yet, hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel as well. And before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gum Leaf USA Boots, and Day 6 Specialized Gear. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.